you are at the net. And welcome, friends, to another episode of the At The Net podcast, powered by Texmex Productions. Working the soundboards in the back of the house, D-Mac and Dave the Brave. Time to say hello to your hosts, Craig Bell and AJ Shabria, as they're about to take us through three sets of tennis, talking life and all the news as it seems to them. Ladies and gentlemen, Craig Bell. Podcast girl for that fabulous introduction. Welcome, fans of the great game. You're listening to Season 1, Episode 46 of At The Net Podcast with A.J. Chabria. That's you, A.J. Yes, right? Yes, sir. How and are you, you, CB? And me, CB1, who are talking the great game of tennis as, as it, it seems to. Let's also go out to our good amigos at Tex-Mex Productions. That would be one, Darian D. Mac McBrayer, Dave the Brain DeLeo from Back in the House, who are on the soundboards, moving the dials and buttons to make it sound like real people. We're real again. We are we? real people. We're about to get really real, and I'm yeah. looking forward to tonight's show. Yep. Good work on Fireside, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, CastBox, Overcast, Podcast, Radio, Public, and Spotify. I was out of breath there, AJ. It's so. all, the list keeps growing, so yeah. yeah, I get it while you're out of breath. And that's basically everything that, uh, we're, just, uh, we're there, right? We're on it. We're, we're live and local, right right there. Yeah. Okay. Hey, 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 gals, if you'd like to be an Athenet podcast girl and do our introduction, sorry, guys, we're not having you guys. Uh, we're we're, we're going to be biased. Of, we're biased. Plenty of dudes in the room. Uh, yeah, we... we uh, and we, we would like someone to read the opening intro for us. Uh, we've got a, a great voice right now in Margot Carter, very British, very yeah. uh, authoritative sounding, right? I think she does a really yeah, good job. Uh, graceful and authoritative. It's that... Perfect British combo, yeah. But we're also looking for the opening intro. We'll be happy to uh, text it to you, and then you can read it uh, as well and be an Athenet podcast girl, even in a foreign language, right? We've had some cool accents, that's right. right. Well, before we get started tonight, we want to give a shout-out to our buddy Luke Siegel, who's in the hospital. Uh, 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 Tim was just uh, giving us an update just a few seconds ago about Luke, and we've had Tim on our, our broadcast before, and we want to say a uh, shout-out to our buddy Luke Siegel. Uh, we're thinking, everybody, we're praying for you. I'm actually wearing my Team uh, Luke uh, bracelet right now. It, and if you want to check Luke's story and all the great things that are going on with Luke Siegel and how you can donate and be a part of that program, uh, uh, type in Luke Siegel, uh, helping Hope for uh, hope for Minds out there. So uh, shout-out to Lukey. All right, uh, so we, we are honored to have this guest with us this evening, a guy that really doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give you just a little bit of history about uh, Mr. Taylor Dent, TD, probably as he's been called a few times. Uh, formerly, uh, I think most everybody knows he played on, on the pro a number of years, just retired about 10 years ago, right, Taylor? Is that correct? That's about right. Yeah, just right at, at uh, 10 years ago. Had one of the largest serves, if not the largest serve in his time. Records. Record, yeah. right. Probably that still aren't broken. I think that, uh, were those uh, wind- did you have a, like a strong 50-mile-an-hour wind behind you to aid that serve? Actually, the one that was uh, aided the most by the conditions was at the French Open. It was a really hot, dry day that day, and yeah. the serves were going through quick. So awesome. 149 that he's talking about, the French a bullet going past you. I don't know. Did they? Who, who were you playing when you hit, hit that 149 one? Do you recall? I was playing, yeah, I do. I was playing Nicholas Lapenti. Oh. Argentino. He, yes. Did he get it back? Uh, he did not get that one back. But some of those fast ones, they do come Those guys are pretty good out there. <laughs> They've been known to hit that, that, that ball back. Have you ever served, just out of curiosity, served and hit anybody, you know, accidentally? Have you, be, you know, uh, beamed them? Or, or, or purposefully. Yeah. <laughs> well. yeah, no, for sure. For sure. You know, if, if somebody's on, 
somebody is standing closer than, than you think. I mean, that was kind of the nice thing about having a lot of pace. The closer somebody stood, the less my accuracy mattered, and yeah. I could just kind of aim for the middle of the box and, yeah. sure, hit people for, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So you did the Nolan Ryan brush back every once in a while is what you're saying? Yeah, of course, that's part of it. <laughs> part of the game. Well, well, Taylor's had an illustrious career on on the on the tour. Ranked, uh, got up to twenty one in the world uh, as coach players. Uh, been at the Olympics. Uh, wins over Djokovic, Roddick, James Blake, Hewitt, Safin, just about everybody. You know, he, his uh, his dad is Phil Dent. He's got a wife that plays tennis, Jenny Dent. Mom, uh, Betty Ann, was a tennis player as well. I mean, you just come from a family of athletes, don't you? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we surrounded by it. I guess we're not smart enough to do anything else. <laughs> uh, but first question before we get to, to get going here. Now that you live in Texas, do you own a cowboy hat, cowboy boots? Absolutely. Uh, so the gentleman that I bought the land from when we first moved out here, he is as Texas as it gets. And old cowboy, you know, he used to, you know, Hurt, you know, he used to just do cattle drives and all that sort of stuff. So he took me to the uh, stockyard rodeo in Fort Worth, and he said, "We got to get you a hat." <laughs> and uh, so that was that was the first stop that we did in this stock. Thinking, oh, you know, okay, fine, going to spend you know fifty bucks on a hat, whatever, hundred bucks on a hat, okay. You know, I don't really buy things like that for myself, so it just you know, spending money on that type of stuff is not something I like doing. Next thing you know, I'm paying six hundred dollars for oh. this cow. I just was, it was such an awkward situation, I actually couldn't say no at the time, and I looked at Jenny, and I'm like, oh my goodness, this is just a bad idea. <laughs> so it's a beaver hat, probably one of those beaver pelt ones, that they're really I expensive. I guess, I don't know, yeah. apparently it was nice, or I hope it was nice. Texas driver's license as well, just want to know that. I do. Uh, he's a Texan, can you say y'all? Uh, my wife says, y'all, I'm not quite there yet. You're almost there. I like it. Well, we're glad to have you on, Taylor. Yes. This is going to be a lot of fun here in the next, uh, you know, a few minutes. Okay, what do you got? Well, yeah, let's go. We're going to go three sets, Taylor. Um, we'll start with the first set. Uh, you know, Craig did a nice intro. Uh, I want to set things up. Um, uh, you want to talk a little about the flags? Oh, just real quick, yeah. Yeah, we've learned that. Uh, through our crackpot research and development department, we have not seen this officially, but uh, you might have an American flag and an Australian flag tattooed on your right shoulder. So we were wondering, on your left shoulder, do you have the Lone Star flag yet? Uh, not yet, not yet. Actually, the American flags are on my left shoulder. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah, I got those. I got those when I was 18, and again, very, just, you know... I just love both countries so much. You yeah. know, I was very proud of, of being American. I was very proud of my Australian and uh, yeah, so there you go. That, that actually was uh, or, or is our um, our first question. Um, you know, it's Father's Day. You and your son and your dad are together in San Antonio at a golf tournament. Um, let's talk a little bit about your career and his Australian identity. Uh, affecting how you behave, how you feel about both nations, and how you play tennis? Um, yeah, I guess, you know, as far as how I feel about both nations, again, yeah. you know, if, if everybody had the same, you know, experience growing up, but my dad was super loyal to, to Australia, yeah. and, you know, you, the United States did a lot for my junior tennis, and, you know, they helped out every chance that they could, and so he... You're American. You know what I mean. That you got to be loyal to the people that are that are doing well. And that was one of the things when I was kind of going back and forth, and becoming good enough to say, "Well, who are you going to play for, Australia or you know the United States?" And mm -hmm. it wasn't really a question in 
Americans. It was, you know, the U.S. Is, has been really, really good to us. And, you know, we don't do that. I was born and raised here. Right. And so, so that was kind of, you know, where we stood on, on that subject. As far as the other impacts it had on my tennis, I mean, you know, you're talking about two huge tennis Australia and, and America. So it was always was always discussed all the time, you know, tennis and uh, and our friends and family, same thing, you know, it was a big deal. Yeah, and uh, I always joke that all Australians have great volleys, it's in the DNA, you are no stranger to that, you're also a great server and a remarkable volleyer, I'll always remember the sound it makes when you crack a backhand volley, and not everybody has that. Yeah, we, I spent a lot of time, actually I didn't start serving and volleying until I spent Pro Tour, uh -huh. so I, I stayed back at the baseline a fair bit uh, in the juniors, but I was always looking to come forward, so I would try to just, you know, hit a big ground stroke, get a short ball, hit that, and come in and finish off the point at net. That's kind of how I played in the juniors, mm -hmm. and I hit the ball off my forehand. Yeah. That I, after about a year, year and a half on tour, I just realized my forehand wasn't good enough to play these guys on the Pro Tour. I just it, it took too many balls for me to get a short ball. They were just too solid. They kept the ball too deep. And then I looked at each other and go, man, what are we going to do now? Mm. You know, it's not looking good. And so that's when we just decided to start serving and volleying. And luckily enough, you know, I, volleys were a big part of my junior career. That's how I finished a lot of points up at net. Excellent. Um... Let's move into the last bit of the first set here. I want to, I want you to take us through that epic U.S. Open match with Ivan Navarro, uh, who also attacked a lot. And for me, it was, you know, for sure one of the finest night matches I've ever seen. The Open, thirty something years, and uh, you are you are at the top, man. Tell us about that match and high fiving practically the whole first row after that match. Yeah, that was just kind of a build-up. You know, the the end of that match was a build-up. You know, I had first set yeah. and lost the first set. I had set points in the second set, and I lost that set. Wow. And, and so then I, I think I won the third set, or, or I, I lost two sets in a row where I had set points. I have the worst memory for these things. Always nice enough to remind me. <laughs> and I was good. sitting down after the third set was finished, uh -huh. Just thinking, I should be off the court right now. You know, I mean, I, I, I had set points in all three of these sets, and, and I'm down two sets to one. Yeah. Um, anyway, so then, battled and battled, and it gets to a breaker, and I just cannot get close to breaking this guy. This guy is just serving and volleying, and I'm chipping my returns. Yeah. And it's not good to chip returns against a serve volleyer, but I didn't really have confidence in doing anything else. And normally, getting my chips down low. So the volleyer has to hit up, but I couldn't. You know, this guy was just running in, and he was getting the the chips above the level of the net. I could not get my chips down at all. Um, I missed an easy volley on a huge point. It may have been a match point, but it wasn't. It was an easy forehand volley. So comes this match point, and I've been trying on, on the ad side in, in the breaker. I don't know. It was, it was like nine ten or something like that. Eight nine in the breaker. He was serving to the ad side. Uh -huh. and he's been my backhand the whole day I've been trying to get it down low cross court the whole day it's been floating the whole day and he's been hitting winter volleys the whole day so I just said you know screw it I'm just going to try and hit a winner off this thing down the line amazing and uh, the serve I saw it coming to my backhand and as soon as I hit that ball I knew it was going in and he was going to be nowhere near it so I actually was I started cheering and celebrating just literally <laughs> half a second, a second after I hit the ball and then so it was a pretty emotional. It was an 
planning on doing the, the high five thing. I, I grabbed the mic on the, the umpire's mic on the court and said right. thank you to the crowd. And then Mary, uh, no, it was Pam Shriver interviewed me and she said, oh, you should give everybody a high five now. And I felt like, man, they're pulling for me. I don't yes. know how to won without them. So that's when I did the little circle around Grandstand, the old Grandstand. Man, it was like a Davis Cup atmosphere. It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was crazy. I had goosebumps the whole end of that fifth set. Dude, I have goosebumps right yeah. now. I right. love it. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back and play. I want to see that match again. Maybe they're showing up. That was so good. You guys were drenched. It was yeah. uh, it was a day match that turned into a night match, right? Right. Yeah. I think we finished at one in the morning or something like that. Yeah. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah. I, I don't know if I was up that late or not, but you know, I might have fallen asleep. <laughs> I, I remember falling asleep the next day at lunch. Yeah. Because I was up the whole Did way. You watch the whole time. Oh, oh yeah. My goodness. God. Live American Kid. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Seven six and the fifth, baby. I I, I live for that. Yeah, it was awesome. That's got to be a lot of putting in front of a crowd like that that uh, uh, pulls you back, you know, into into the match or, or gives you that that energy. Yeah. You know, you know uh, unlike the, the pro sports today, kind of getting the playing and in, in, in not in front of a crowd, but you'd be able to play in front of the crowd. It really made the difference and, and kind of pulled you through that that big match, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, it, it does make a huge difference. I think the U.S. Open is, is a big advantage, especially if you're American on one of those. It's not really a side court, but it is. You know what I mean? It's not ash. It's and so typically, as an American, when you're playing on one of those side courts, you're not only you know the American, but you're also the favorite. Yeah. You know, and so that makes it even more so that the crowd is, is amped up to, to see you play. So cool. Move into you as a coach. Uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about your attacking style of tennis and uh, how it is applied in the pro and top junior levels that you coach. Um, and how does it how has it shaped not just you, uh, your whole coaching staff, including your wife and your dad, and uh, and you, the kids you coach. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's a great question. I think that uh, there's no coaching style that's wrong from yeah. what I have experienced being a coach. I have to have a clear vision for what you want your tennis to be because if you want your tennis to be professional quality and you're teaching somebody to win in the 12 and unders or 14 and unders, well, then maybe those visions don't quite line up quite line up so from our standpoint what we teach is we teach what we know and what we like i mean we teach a, a type of tennis that that works at a high level at a professional level and it does become very very aggressive you know and and we kind of don't mince words about it we do teach a very very aggressive brand and people ask us why do we teach such aggressive stuff and it's like look the better you get the less you want your opponent to play your opponent as you get better and climb up the ranks, becomes very, very good. And if you just let them operate, if you don't put them under pressure, if you don't hurt them and scare them, they're going to run all over you. You know, we have future-level players that um, are, are kind of experiencing that and seeing that. So that's kind of the brand of tennis. It's a super aggressive tennis. Um, what type of aggression? We don't teach serve and volley. I mean, you know, we have some players that want to learn just because of who we are, and we do that very selectively. You know, we, just based on our experience, there's times to serve volley and there's times not to kind of getting into the weeds if we talk about that. Um, but the, the type of uh, tennis that we teach is kind of honestly like a clay court aggressive style. We really teach, you know, hitting a lot of aggressive spin through the court uh-huh. and especially through the sidelines, opening up the court to 
opportunities to move forward and take the ball early. Is your style, just going back, as, as I'm thinking about this, because I like serving volley tennis, I'm just, and I like your style of tennis. Would you match up in today's, as much as you attack the – did you ever play Nadal? Did you ever play Rafa? I'm just curious. Yeah, did, yeah. yeah. Did, did, did you use that style of play against him, and, and how'd, you, yep. how'd, you fa- how'd you fare? It's just tough, you know. I mean, you, it, it's just tough. In today's game, you, you ask me honestly, it's not worth the reward. Uh-huh. Obviously, if you're playing a high level of tennis, there's a certain amount of risk that you're, you have to take on every shot because sure. you can't just poke a ball in the middle of the court. You're never going to see it again. They're going to step up and hit a win, win, win a forehand. So there's take when you press uh, the attack and you come forward and make the guys pass you my experience is it's just not worth the risk um it's better to come in when the court's open mm-hmm. there's so many times where i would hit two not close to perfect shots a serve and a first volley and the player would have a very very uh manageable pass to look at now that doesn't mean i lost the point every time but that just, it doesn't feel good playing, uh, executing a point at a very, very high level and then being kind of on the the downside, the, you know, the losing hand of that thing more mm-hmm. often than not. I just feel like with the, the amount of spin players can generate, the, the slowness of the courts, the heaviness of the balls, uh, it, it's just, it makes it rough right now. Now, I speed up and, uh, you know, things get faster and makes it tougher to pack then, yeah, I think it's a viable style. Right now, though, I feel like the, the the most realistic way to play tennis is open up the court, take the ball early, and then finish it net. Because the conditions, due to the conditions, they purposely, tournament directors tried to slow the courts down, slow the balls down. Uh, have you felt that for a number of years? Like, when you were retiring, was it was it changing? Because you know, Wimbledon changed the yeah. grass, I know that. I used to practice with Sampras a ton. When I was 16, 17 years old, mm-hmm. and he would vent about it then. He's just like, they're slowing it down. They're, yeah. you know, they're getting rid of me. Type of that, that was kind of something that he said. And uh, I don't think that they are target on anybody's back, slowing the, the conditions down. I just think it's a great, entertaining brand of tennis to watch. I mean, I, I, I sit and I watch tennis. It's like, man, it is so fun to watch, watching these guys run side to side, hit huge ground strokes points up at net uh i think it's i think it's as good as tennis has ever been interesting yeah because I, I i find it fascinating that uh the servant volley is almost lost in some essence but and you're saying that would, would you have uh when you're out people right now at your academy you you try not to teach it as much as you did but yet finish the point at the net but yet set it up a little bit more so than just aggressively going towards the net all the time, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I believe that the the right points is at net, so you don't have to hit too many balls from the baseline, and sure. so you don't have to thread the needle too much, but I think you do have to come in very cautiously. I think you have to come in with a huge upper hand, so you, so the volley isn't really doing damage. It's just kind of finishing off. So Pat Rafter wouldn't be relevant in today's standard? I don't know. He's pretty amazing. He's, you know, he's, he's one of the I, finest. I wouldn't yeah. right. him at all. Yeah, <laughs> he, he and Paul Anacone. I remember uh, McEnroe said Paul Anacone was the only guy that could beat McEnroe to, to, to the net, net on his serve. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> I just remember that quote. I was like, oh, man, that's, that guy didn't ever stay back and hit ground strokes, you know? Oh, it's yeah. funny. Yeah. Hey, let's uh, let's move over into set number two. Um, I want to talk a little bit about a de- the Dent Academy. Craig and I have uh, been there 
in the construction and the great energy and some of the, even some of the players there. Uh, you're even talking indoors. Take us through the process. Um, I, I, I want to call it the present and the future. But if you want, tell us about the journey this past year or two, getting things rolling over here. Yeah, it's been quite the uh, quite the ordeal. Obviously, yeah, really? our academy started out in California. You know, uh-huh. we were out there for seven years. And uh, we did a good job. And, and the, the reason for the move was just like, you know, kind of what's next. You know, we yeah. were doing a really good job with the academy. About Well, the next step would be to own our own facility. And so we looked around to try and purchase some stuff in Southern California. That didn't happen. And then so we said, okay, well, let's say it's not California. So anyway, long story short, we landed on Keller, Texas. And basically it's been over a three-year process to uh to kind of get to where we are and we're still not complete with the project i'm told that the the construction should be done within the next two weeks which is you know it would be an amazing thing to to happen but the facility has 10 outdoor courts five indoor courts a a 9,000 square foot clubhouse and it's been it's been interesting you know obviously i'm a tennis player i'm not a builder i'm not a developer and going through this process and learning that process has been eye-opening. There is so I would have done differently uh, if, if I would have experienced this uh, one time already. Why Keller, Texas? I mean, that's that's more like horse country than tennis country. Such, such a cool little town. Yeah, it's a great town. Yeah, it, it is cool. And, and, you know, speaking of the horses, about 17 acres of our 27 acres are dedicated to the horses still right now. Um, wow. so, so it's a pretty cool little vibe out there at the at the courts um why keller well i guess you know the first thing is why texas you know texas is a pretty good weather is mostly good year-round um and you know florida has a ton of academies so we didn't really venture there weren't really familiar with uh georgia all that much we didn't feel that you know nevada or arizona was the right going for um so so we kind of settled on texas and, and we were most familiar with dallas uh in 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 the state of texas and so we were kind of looking around dallas and, and again they have some really good clubs and some good academies around there so we started looking at the out uh, and, and we settled on uh this area called keller texas it's about 45 minutes outside of dallas and 45 minutes outside of uh fort worth so it's kind of right in the middle there and you know it just it seemed like it had you know the we're kind of looking for. Yeah, do you do you homeschool most of the kids from there, or do you let the kids go to Keller High School? Just out of curiosity, because like yeah, you, we, we do everything. I mean, okay. look, we, we try to be a one stop shop, you know, uh-huh. and because there's nothing like uh, our within 20 miles. So we really try hard to to be you know everybody's tennis stop. Um, whether you are homeschooled, whether you're 10 under, whether you go to a regular high school or whatever, um, they're obviously, you know, us just building it there. Um, there is that's nearby in uh-huh. North Richmond Hills is another one. Um, but I feel like that area is just starting to establish a tennis culture, which is cool. I feel like we're kind of catching that swell on, on the way through. So uh, I think, you know, we, we do get kids and a lot of the after-school kids, but I think more of a tennis culture has to be built for it to be a, a, a huge number. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I know that because you went to high school through the public school system, and I was just thinking, can a, can a kid do that environment? Can can there be a public school kid that can make it to the level that, that Taylor did, uh, reach at 21 in the world? Would that be possible, do you think? I mean, are we talking about a kid that has to go to school until 3, 3.30 in the afternoon? 
And again, to me, right. I, I, yeah. I am not a dream killer. You know yeah. what I mean? Right. So to me, that, I'm not in the business of that. I'm just, I just yeah. say that, that sounds rough. It's going to take someone pretty special to do that. I mean, normally, right. you know, if you're a high-performance athlete, you're going to be out of school. 12.30, 1 o'clock, even in a public school, they have ways to get you out that early. And that's not really kind of what people would envision of a, of a traditional public high school experience. Right, really, right. Where, you know, that, that experience is probably an 8, eight to 3 day. And I would say that on, with schoolwork and homework and all that sort of stuff and hanging out with friends, man, I want to see that person who, who could do that in, with, with how competitive today's tennis is. That would be a, a huge feat. Yeah, because I think you're obviously the beneficiary of having and your mom being a pretty decent tennis player herself. Right. That you probably could have, and you did go to public school, but at the same time you had a heck of a on-court presence with your parents. So that probably cut a lot of that out as well. well and yeah, and also I got kicked out of public school oh. in the first half of my sophomore year. Uh-huh. Tell they us that my attendance was too low that they, they, they didn't even, they couldn't pass me because my attendance was so I had to go to an alternative school um, midway through my sophomore. I didn't go full full time to a public school. Yeah, so you're playing a lot of USTA uh, events, ITF events, world events all over the world. And just exactly. Okay. I was traveling, playing, playing, you know, futures tournaments, uh -huh. you know, professional tournaments. Gotcha. Yeah, because that make that makes sense. It, have that conversation, I guess, with parents from time to time about their yeah. their kids' expectations and what. What they're thinking, like you know, my little Johnny, my little Sally, Susie, you know, is going to be the next pro player, and you're like, uh, let's let's talk about this, really, in reality. Well, exactly, and, and that's my thing. It's like, look, I don't, I don't. Yeah, refuse to be that, but I am very realistic on what that commitment is. I mean, and the commitment is right. massive, and it, and especially it depends on where the you know that junior player is in their development. Right. Yeah, because there's late bloomers out there that you've worked with, and you're like, wow, I never thought that kid would have made it. And then all of a sudden, they're playing pretty decent tennis. You know, So you never yeah. know, especially with adolescents, what their abilities are and when they're going to you know, get, get it. Oh, I guess the light bulb that, comes on. That's 100%. You know, I've been around tennis since I was born, obviously, with yeah. my father. My wife has been around. So we have seen everything. I have seen sure things who are supposed to be top ten in the world, winning grand slams, never make two ATP points. Yeah, you know, and that's not one time that's happened. And and on and on the other side, I've seen people that are never going to make it, never amount to any good. Hey, you know, be able to get top hundred in the world. So that's why my experience tells me that I don't know the future. I don't know what this person's capable of, and that's why I be the uh, the future predictor. I love it. Is it easier to coach or play? I think it's way easier to play. Oh, really? I mean. No, I think it's way easier to play because honestly, you look yourself in the mirror and it's it's analyze the problem and you're either going to work on it or you're not going to work on it. And it's kind of you. Whereas if you're the coach, I feel like I do a lot of lobbying. I'm like, okay, because this because now I'm dealing with a player that has their own thoughts, their own beliefs, and I'm just like, man, okay, well this is Y and Z. Do you want to work on that? You know, because my experience is if the kid isn't into working on something, you're wasting your time. You may as well do something else. You know what I mean? So I try to get the kid on board with working. We got to work on this X, Y, and Z. And then it's like, okay, this thing. And if the kid's got one foot in, one foot out, the the first moment of adversity is like, oh, I don't want to work on that anymore. It's like, oh, you know, buddy, we got to do it. You know, if you want to get to this next level, we got to do it. And so th there's an added element there of just lack of control. 
whereas when it was my game, it was just like, well, if I believe in this, I'm going to work my butt off until I get it. Um, when, when it's another player, that doesn't always happen. Mm-hmm. Are you are you a fan of on-court coaching? We're watching behind us uh, is uh, that has coaching involved in it from France. Uh, the uh, what is, is it? The, it's the UTS. UTS. The ultimate yeah. tennis showdown. I was going to say UTR, yeah, but I was like, UTR, oh, no. I couldn't see that. This yeah. is in southern France, France, in Nice. Yeah. Right. Are you a fan of, of coaching, or do you like? Hey, you got to figure it out on your own. That that's kind of everybody's got to figure it out. You know, you talk to your coach prior to the match and go figure it out. I only like the on-court coaching if the spectators, the the people watching on TV, the if we're not allowed to hear what they're talking about, then I don't want it. Okay. Yeah, because you've coached, you know, Jared Donaldson and a few other right. players. So I was, I was interested to get your take because the ladies can still have one visit per set. The guys not, but that kind of of on-court coaching or not from that standpoint. I mean, as far as like benefiting the. the uh, the only reason I like it is for entertainment purposes. Right, I'll just right. say that. You know, I think it gives the commentators some, because I commentate sometimes, love to have the opportunity to hear what the coach is thinking. You know what I mean? Because that's awesome. You know, that's something that you could talk about that's really interesting, in my opinion, for the fans. Mm-hmm. As far as as far as for the benefit of the players, to be honest with you, I like players to suffer. I like to figure it out. But... Um, the uh, the encore coaching would just be so awesome uh, for TV that I think that it I wish it would happen. It's very engaging and, and people like us uh, may or may not need it to be engaged. Like I, I like you, I dork out and love watching tennis. Um, uh, I'm fine with going long five sets or whatever, but the casual fan would love what you're describing. Oh, I think so, a hundred percent. I think I think it's it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Because it's just an untapped uh, avenue of entertainment for, for the person watching tennis on TV. So right. I, I think it will happen sooner or later. Um, will it improve the quality of tennis? I don't think so. I think it will improve the quality of viewing. Yeah. Like uh, Dmitry Tursunov when he was called down to the court from Arny- Arnia Sabalenka. Where he didn't <laughs> say a word for, the, for a whole minute. He just looked at her. She didn't say anything. Do you remember that? <laughs> I don't. You didn't see no. that? Oh, it was it was classic. <laughs> it was comedy gold. Oh, she, she called him down, so he goes down, and he kneels down and looks right at her for a minute. Doesn't say a word. She's looking down at her shoe tops. Doesn't say a word. Get, he gets up, walks off, and the commentator goes, well, I guess whatever he there said, you it. there yeah. you have it. <laughs> no. Funny stories, even on the men's side. Yeah. That. I remember um, Brett Stevens, uh, he used to train... Pete Sampras, and he told the story about going down on the court. He's not a tennis coach; he's just a trainer. But uh-huh, he was—he sure. always used to work with uh, Wayne and Byron Black. So they called him down on the court one time, and you know he's just down there, and he looks at him. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know the first thing about tennis. They were at that stage. He said he didn't know the first thing about tennis. Pretty humble guy. And he says, "So, boys, what do you guys want for dinner?" Dinner. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. I mean, there would be in. A, in the beginning, I think some comedy times like that. Yeah. But I also think as time went on, you'd really get some some good nuggets to talk about. Yeah. No, that was it. Was really funny. It was probably year, year and a half ago. It was an in. It was just classic. I just happened to catch it. Yeah. And I was just walking through. We always had the tennis channel on at the club, and so yeah. I just happened to be watching. I was like. What the hell is he going to say to her? And then nothing. He said <laughs> nothing. It was like a minute of silence. And I think uh, it was Mary Carrillo. I don't know who was yeah. on there, but they, Pam Trevor. They were laughing. Yeah. Laughing. 
laughing because they couldn't believe that Sabalenka didn't ask him one question and Tursunov right. wasn't going to... He didn't say anything. He was waiting for her to say something like, and then just walks off. Time, and then takes off and goes back and sits down. <laughs> so, from uh, oh, Russian-American to yes. a Belarusian. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah, yeah, the same language they speak. That's yeah. goodness. So, so what's left for the, the Dan Academy? Yeah, tell us about the future. Yeah, you've, you've got this great facility going to be online here shortly. And where are, are you looking to make it like a voluntary kind of situation or no, maybe a little bit more low-key? That's not the plan. I mean, if it turns into that, then I guess that's what happens. You know, obviously the future is not in my control. Yeah. Um, I, the elements to the business that we have there, you know, we have a local club membership business where we have local tennis players come and use the facility, uh, do drills, and that's mostly adults. You know, 90% are, are ladies that do those, uh, the USDA ladies leagues and the, uh, you know, the tennis leagues. Near That'll, we want that to always stay. Um, then we do our full-time program, and that you know go, runs through the middle of the day. And then we have our after-school and 10-under stuff. Um, how I see it going in the future, right now we don't have a you know, if kids want to board, then they stay with, you know, uh, families that, that come to the academy and so on and so forth. We would love to build a school on site. We have plenty of land to do that. And, and so I think that, that would probably be the the first next step is just to build we have planned for. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, but again, like I said, who knows what the future holds. Like This thing was supposed to be open two years ago, so you, you never know what happens. We do things a little slower in Texas, didn't you know that? Was kinda, <laughs> yeah, kinda, we kind of so. mosey along, put a little piece of grass in the teeth. You know? It happens, you know? It's so funny you say that because I think of Texas as business-friendly and would love a guy like this. I know I personally am thrilled that he's here. Yes, but, uh, I am too. I'm kind of sad that the politics of, uh, I guess, municipal, municipal kind of stuff, and we wish you the best in that stuff. Too. Oh, no, I, I think it's going to be great. Yeah, I know you're, you're always, like you said, about being a lobbyist uh, as yeah. a coach. You kind of have to be a lobbyist with the city and the county, huh? You know, there's just, I think, you know, the city, um, it, a lot of development is happening around them. Right. And, you know, some of the people there are just kind of resisting as, as you know, as much as they can. And, and that, you know, that's, that's a bummer. You know, that's just a, a bummer that it just it turned out that way. You know, when we first got there, we felt like we were embraced by, by everybody around. There was just one person that really, you know, didn't want us there. And we're like, man, if everybody else is embracing us and except for this one person, then I guess this is this is okay. You know, we're not going to uh -huh. upset everybody. And it just literally snowballed out. And it got to be this big ordeal that it never should have been. But, uh, you know, like I said, we, we've crossed a lot of hurdles. I'm sure we have a lot more to cross, but we're close. Yeah, how, how many borders will you have eventually? If anybody's listening that was interested in having their kids or, or knows some people, eventually. We're scheduled to have the ability to have up to 80. 80? 40 boys, 40 girls, yeah. So fair, fairly long. We'll I don't know if we'll ever get there. I mean, that... If, if that happened, I mean, Voluntaries has like over 200, right, so right, that massive. still wouldn't do, but that would start to take on that type. Um, again, like I said, I'm not, I'm not sure we're there because, again, uh, the, the unique thing about our academy is Jenny actually works on court all the time. Uh -huh. I am on, if you want to find me, I am on court all the time. My dad is on court all the time. And so if we get, then the likelihood of us being able to see those kids is, is very, very small. So, so right now, you know, our, our big days, we have 40 kids out there on the courts. And so that means we can all, you know, kind of look at them, watch them, um, you know, communicate with the parents, anything that 
know about and we talk to the kids like we we know all the kids personally and we work with all the kids personally on a daily basis and if it gets too big that changes a lot yeah it changes the dynamics quite a bit because yeah. you, you need quite a few yeah. hand, hands involved to, to help run the run all the operation whether yeah. it's school average you know uh, after hours just people off, are hanging around on campus you know to yeah. uh, security uh, yeah, so it, a, it, it, then it becomes yeah, then it becomes more of a business, and I guess you know, like I said, if that's what it turns into down the road, then I, that's not where we want to take it. You know, as of right now, we 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 like where the full time program is. The after school program is obviously non existent because of the COVID right. uh, situation. The ten unders is, is kind of you know iffy because parents are uneasy about. Um, so, so right now we're just kind of in a holding pattern. Of our business is, is doing good. There's a lot of demand, but you know those two programs, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Yeah. No. Joe, eventually, when it's built out, what, what do you have on campus? Tell us the the master plan. Uh, the master plan. All right. So we we're scheduled to have 35 courts, and 10 of those are indoor. Wow. Um, 12,000 square foot clubhouse. Uh, we're gonna have, you know, obviously boarding facility, gym, full gym. I mean, pretty much the candy and the eye candy that, that a professional person could ask. Because we obviously we work with a handful of professionals and some and some more. Um, so we're trying to build it as if, okay, what would I want if if I was training here at this facility? It's gonna be. I mean, it's a pretty big space too. You know, it's yeah. got 27 acres. We actually have room if we wanted to. That was kind of the the pie in the sky to do a golf driving range on the northern 10 acres and uh, then we could maybe do possibly a golf academy my old and so selfishly that was something that you know maybe we wanted to put in there for him that's really cool now, now do you see you know, thinking i just thought of this question do you see yourself on the pro side having pro players come to the academy as much as more developing more side and pushing them towards the, the, the circuit if possible. Because there's two I'm different like things going. Honestly, to me, the level of the player is not the issue to me. To me, I have a tough time with people that I have to motivate that to want to be better. Mm. If you're better and you're willing to work at it, we just, we click. And I don't care what level you are. It's it, like, I, I'm working with this boy right now. And over the past, I'd say over the past year, I don't know if you guys are familiar with UTR, but he's gone from a six and a half UTR to an eight and a half UTR. I don't have to beg him. Yeah. I don't have to ask him to do extra work on the ball machine, work on this shot, work on that shot, and he is flying. We have pro players that are the same way. That's just it's enjoyable. You yeah. know, when I when I have to kind of try to drag someone through the mud to get him to work hard and work on a shot. I mean, I the common thing I say is like, hey, look, this isn't my tennis. This is your tennis. Right. I can't want it for you. I can't do the work for you. All I can do, honestly, and here's what I say a lot to the kids. All I have is knowledge for you. That's all I've got. And that's like 10% of it. If you're not that knowledge and work hard on that, which is the 90% of it, then I'm no good to you. You know, and, and I, I truly believe that. Is that what the, the, the future of American tennis, do, are we in a lull right now because we don't work hard enough? Or is it, I'm just curious because you a really high uh, world ranking. You saw the best. You played the best. What What is it about American tennis right now that uh, we aren't top? We always want to be top. And we want people to be like you, always, you know, working around for championships. We haven't had anybody win a Grand Slam since Roddick. You know, about 20 years ago, nearly, we've had a dry spell. Is it because of our, you know, our work ethic as a society in America, or do we have too much, or is it just our, is somebody else's turn in the, in the fishbowl at the moment? 
think, uh, I, obviously, you're talking about a, a big problem, a complex problem, and I, I don't think there's one thing. But I will say this. I see a ton of kids work hard. I really, yeah, really do. I do. I would say I would the culture of professional tennis, that the professionally-minded tennis in the United States, from what I have seen traveling these junior tournaments, is just not there. We're, we're playing to win junior tournaments, which... I understand that, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing because it's scholarship and all that sort of stuff. You need to do well in junior tournaments because colleges start looking at you when you're 16, 17 years old. Uh, I get that, but that does not help professional tennis because, again, we, what we you know, talked about in the start, if you want to do well 16 and unders, that's gonna, you're going to train differently than if you want to have a chance to play professional tennis. So I, I think there's plenty of hard workers out there. I just question what what they're working on. Are there are they working on things that have value at a or are they working on things that have value at a junior level? And uh, you know, you, I'm not saying one's right or wrong. I'm not. I'm just saying if the question is why don't we have more people, more Americans, you know, top 50, top 20, top 10 challenging for Grand Slams. Juniors that I've seen, they are not playing the right way. They're not working on the right things. Like, 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 like my, I, I have two, I have, I have four kids, but my, my two older ones are, are boys. Um, so my oldest plays golf and my younger one plays uh, tennis. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care if you, you shoot terrible. I don't. You, you have to play the right way. If you want to have a chance to be a professional player, you have to play the right way. Your stroke has to look like what you see on YouTube, what you see on TV. And I say the same thing to my, my, my tennis player. You know, he's played a couple years old. Yeah. And I tell him, I say, I don't care if you do not win a game. I expect three things. I expect you to fight your butt off. I expect you to play, your right, play the right way. And I expect you to be fair. That's it. I don't care if you don't, do not win a game. I think so much emphasis is put, is put on such a young age that it's just it really really stunts the growth of, of, of a professional quality player yeah because we're watching two guys right behind us we've got Dominic Team and, and Stefano Tsitsipas uh, two guys that probably uh, to play pro tennis you know right now and, and young guys and I'm trying to trying to think and, and this is a European setup it's not an American setup um, at, at the moment they've got a couple of guys but they just seem like they just rose to such a high Ranking, it'd be nice to have a couple of guys rising for us. I don't know. That's why I was asking the question because it just seems like everybody's asking why. Why aren't we there? Why aren't we Stefano Sissipas? Why aren't we got uh, a guy like uh, Team? I know we have some really good players, don't, and I'm not trying to, to dog those guys. But it, it, like you said, it's a complex uh, answer to a very complex question as well. Mm-hmm. It seems like because because you rose to a rank, and there's some other guys. You were around Sampras, Agassi, Courier. Uh, you know Todd Martin. You know we had some really great players around the time that you were, you know, hit Roddick, Andy Roddick. I mean, there, you had a big group of uh, people that you know you had to compete against, and, and they're very good. Yeah. Well, and, and again, I mean, obviously, if we go down the list and start naming names, you know, yeah. you, you run the risk of, of insulting people and yes. you don't know what's going on. That's right. Now try not to. That you would look at yeah. that's American and young are going to have some serious issues or some serious questions that need to be answered in their game. And when you're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, it's really hard to make big changes. Shoot, it was terrible. That's why I started serving and balling at 19. I'm like, my forehand stinks for professional tennis. And instead of me trying to change it, which I did, because I, I, I had a tough time changing it, I actually just avoided it. So I avoided it by serving and balling. You know, so 
thing. It's, it's really hard to make a change when you're 19, 20. You have to be working on this professional quality game when you're, you know, 12, 14, 16 years old. Otherwise, it's just too late. Yeah. Now, do, do the kids at the academy, do most of them aspire to... Are they thinking about that possibly, or are you just kind of no. let them, you talk no, to? I would, yeah. I would say most of them just want to try and get a college scholarship. Okay. You know, that, that's I'd say that's ninety nine percent of it, and then you get the the handful that, that just want to you know have a chance to play pro tennis, you know, grand slam, something like that. So I'd say most, and 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 we tell them, you say, look. We are not going to teach you anything that's going to stunt your growth. So if you happen to make a big jump in improvement, mm -hmm. if you want to pursue this, then the stuff we teach you is super valuable. Yeah. Um, and it'll still serve you also. Is there a mindset to a champion that has to be – can you see that at, at that early age at 5, 6, 7, 10? You know, are there kids that uh, you go, hmm, okay, I think this guy's got a chance. Just not that maybe from a technical standpoint or tactical mentally that, that somebody has to possess at that point? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that if they don't, they need uh, a supporting figure, a parent, or something like that around mm -hmm. them um, who's going to basically bully them in, in things. Um, but yeah, no, there, there's certainly a couple of kids that come to my mind when I think about that at our academy that just, you know, they, they go about their business a little bit differently. And it, it, it doesn't mean anything. You know what I mean? It, it just gives them a little bit more of an advantage, a little bit more of a hope to, to make it. But again, to make it, you need to do a lot of things really, really well. Yeah, yeah that's good. good point there. So the the, uh, the future, though, of the Den Academy, it's, it's about to start. It had any the starting line at this point. Uh, you're trying to get just to the starting line, and then hopefully in the next you know three to five years you get everything in place, and then it starts to uh, organically kind of grow, get some people there, and you get the word out. Is that kind of what's taking place, I guess? We're, like our, our full-time academy is pretty full. You know, oh, okay. We only have you know ten courts, so we had people you know move with us from California, so we kind of started out with or some people in town. Um, where it's going to grow to, we just we just hope what grows honestly is our ten under program. Right. One of our main missions is to create a culture of tennis, and it's going to start with those ten under kids. So we we're doing a lot of incentives to get those kids in, um, at the club hitting some tennis balls and just falling into the culture. Yeah. Do you like? I'm going to set this question up. It's kind of a controversial one. Do you like red ball or do you like the yellow ball? Yeah. I don't think it matters. Don't think it matters. I've seen phenomenal kids come out of the, the pressureless balls. Yes. And I've seen kids that don't have any strokes that come mm -hmm. out of the, the pressureless balls. I've seen phenomenal kids only use yellow ball. I've seen kids with, with terrible strokes only use yellow ball. It comes down at that age desire in the coach mm -hmm. you know what i mean the, the kid and, the, and so you can give a coach you know what if you have a great kid and a great coach you can have that kid practice with racquetballs or golf balls or or, or pickle balls mm -hmm. anything and the kid's gonna look and he's gonna have great strokes so i don't i mean i if if the pressureless balls gets the kid on the court more often to play and and you know creates more opportunities to play other kids and it's more fun, then I'm all like development goes. At that age, it's, it's all about the uh, the parent and or the coach. Yeah, so you, you, I know it was a big topic probably, what, seven, eight years ago, maybe ten years ago, that uh, uh, an organization was, was trying to 
everybody that they got to use a red ball. And, yeah. you know, it, it caused a lot of controversy in the coaching ranks. And about the time you were starting to coach, it seemed like that was a, a huge topic. I, I, you know, when I have taught kids at, at that age, I, I only had yellow balls. But I had red ball. I mean, it was, you know, we, we do it at, at our club. And I'm sure you all do it at your club as well, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not against it at all. It's just. It, it's a tool, it, you know, and yeah. it's only as good as the coach implementing it. So to me, it's it's if the kids like. It. Are you all at the at the academy also too? Do you all do other sports? Like, do you, do you encourage the kids to play soccer? I know McEnroe said you know soccer is, is really good for development. Basketball. Do you, do you have some kids that you know? You yeah, say, I, mean, hey. I love soccer. Basketball scares me a little bit. You know, <laughs> reason basketball seem to happen all the time. The reality of the matter is is the kids don't have really time to do anything else. They've got school in the morning. They do uh, their tennis. They have some fitness. They've got more school, more homework or whatever, or they have reading. There's just not much time mm. um, for the kids to do an extra sport, to be honest with you. Yeah. Do you have a soccer field just out there where the kids can kick it around a little bit? Just out, just oh, we front? have some open space, absolutely. Yeah. No, we have some open space, and if they want to you know, burn off some extra energy and absolutely there and, and like I said I think I've been that was one of my biggest surprises coaching tennis was soccer players pick up tennis very very quickly even though it's, it's soccer is not a hand-eye coordination sport yeah. they're just very good moving their feet and, uh, with their spatial awareness I guess is it the anticipation I guess the ball moving when they're passing yeah. Almost yeah, they like can it. read the ball well right. and yeah. they, they pick up tennis very quickly they're, they're really good at uh, drawing fouls and flopping, too. It's, uh, it's, just, it's so <laughs> to flop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> very important. No, yeah. to, to, yeah, to... Right, Rob. Yeah. yeah. I mean, do, do you all, uh, you know, in Spain, you've known, uh, known a few people who flopped over there. Well, Didn't my, some of your relatives my, play soccer? My uncle was not known for his, but he's uh, a very important skill in him. <laughs> well, thank you. Uncle Tony was not known as a flopper. So yeah. You heard it right now. Miguel. Miguel Angel. Oh, the uh, brother. The brother. Yeah, the yes. other brother. Yeah. That's right. The other brother. Yeah. So, should we, let's go, to, let's go to third set here, Taylor. Um, yeah. Questions that uh, we call fast hands or, or rapid fire. No need to go very, very deep. But some of these questions might go deep. Let's, let's move into the third set and have some fun. What do you say, Taylor? All right, sounds good. We're going to get to know you a little bit. All right, so first band you saw in concert, first band. U2 with Jenny, actually. Oh, really? It was a date. Where where was it? Yeah, which tour was it? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Jenny, what tour it was, to be honest with you. Hold on. It may have been the Elevation. So, like, 2000. Which tour was the U2 concert that we went to? Like, 03. He's having to ask. ask What year? <laughs> oh, she doesn't remember. My memory for these things is bad. Uh-huh. California was that a California venue? Did you go like see it at, at Staples Center think, in LA? Yeah, I think, it was, I think it was Staples Center. Uh-huh. Hey, Los I, Angeles itself. Well, I pulled yeah, that good. one. Out. How the hell nice is that? Inglewood, Inglewood, California, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> oh, it was Elevation. Elevation Shore. Yes. Yeah. Right there, you go. So are you a music guy? Do you like bands? If you could hear a band. I, you know what? I enjoy all music. I mean, I, I pretty much can listen to anything you want. I just, I'm not diehard. Like, when we go to those concerts and, and everybody's getting into it, I'm just, I'm not that person. You know, I enjoy the music and I appreciate, I just, it doesn't, for some reason it doesn't hit me like it like it hits other people. Like Jenny, yeah. she's a freak. You know, she'll be <laughs> bouncing off the walls going everywhere and I'm just like, man, I wish I had that, but I don't. <laughs> 
there a band you'd like to see in concert? Are you, or is there somebody that uh, you haven't seen that uh, maybe you and Jenny would like to go see, possibly? We are seeing um, a country band, I think, coming up soon. We got some tickets from one of our family. And uh, Jenny, what's the name of the country band we're going to go see? Dan and Shay. Okay. Shay, 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 Shay. When I drink tequila, that song—it's it's a pretty funny song, actually. <laughs> Since we, so that was the genre of music I did not appreciate at all before I moved out to Texas. Now I think it's country music is hysterical. I I crack up every time I hear it. It's so funny, it's so good. <laughs> well, it's two types of genres: country and, and western. western. <laughs> we got both kinds over here. We got both kinds in Texas. Here's the next question about a band, all right? So if you're in a band, I don't know if you, have, if, if you, you might be in a band, but if you could be in a band, would you be the lead singer, lead guitarist, drummer, keyboard, or bass guitarist? Where, where, where are you in the lineup? Bass guitar. Bass guitar. Do you play the bass guitar, just out of curiosity? Uh, I did not. My older brother, very, very good uh, guitarist. He was, he's been in a couple bands. Uh -huh. He's produced like a CD. He's very, very good. Um, and so he taught me how to play the guitar, so, and I just guitar sounded the best. Oh, really? Anybody in particular that you, you follow as a bass guitarist? I mean, not, I don't follow anybody as a bass guitarist, but obviously Flea is, is the greatest of all time. So, the Peppers, you know, right? Yes, interesting. Yeah. See, he comes up, see, we every it. day. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> So bass guitar. So I thought you might say lead singer because most tennis people were kind of frontmen. But you, you yeah, like I know. I, I'm, I'm happy to support in that role. I don't. I don't need the attention. I'm, I'm happy to support. You stand back in the corner and just uh, uh, pick. Say right. Yeah. Exactly. Slapping it. Uh, favorite movie. What, what do you like to watch? What, what do you What have you been watching? Let's say. Um. What have we been watching? I tell you what. As like a whole conglomerate, Jenny and I really like all the. It's just well done. It's fun. It's a cheap. It's like you know what it is. It's like going to Disneyland. It's just a roller coaster ride. You you know what's gonna happen, but it's fun getting there anyway. You know what I mean? So yeah. so those are just cheap thrills. As far as something deep and tough, I mean I'm just gonna give you the stuff. You know what I mean? Like obviously the you know Shawshank Redemption kind of is 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 a really good one for me. I mean it's yeah. not like the blood and guts of a Braveheart and, and Gladiator that type of thing. It's just more of an emotional battle that that yeah. guy makes. You know, so I that you know I appreciate that quite a bit. I was watching that last night actually. Oh, yeah. Tim Robbins yeah. and Morgan Freeman. Yeah, that's, yeah. that was awesome. You know, my, my wife and I just sat there was on on and, and I was like, Cindy's like. Hey, that's Shawshank Redemption. I was like, yeah, no, that's a great movie. Anything, you know, forced to, you know, uh, left and, and, I, and it was. I also enjoy anything. I mean, almost anything with Anthony Hopkins in there. I think he's just a real good actor. I don't yeah. know. I, I, anything he does, I really find find entertaining. Interesting. Okay. Uh, you're at dinner, right? We're gonna switch, and you can invite guests to dinner. Besides AJ and I, obviously, and, and Jenny and Phil, yeah. uh, who are, are maybe some people that you would invite to this dinner? Up to four people or more. You know, you, you know, you can go back and. Uh, <laughs> you know, we, we've had some really esoteric qu uh, answers to this questions. So, you know, who who are you, who are you inviting? Well, are you guys, I, are you guys are familiar. I'm a Christian, so I'd, I'd invite mm -hmm. the apostles, mm -hmm. the original apostles. I love. Sure. Hear their tales of, of being around uh, Jesus when all that was taking place, yeah. and just you know, because obviously in, in the Bible they they get ripped on a little bit. You know, they make a lot of mistakes. They yeah. put their foot in the mouth uh, a lot of times. And 
I think that would be some special or or, or or Moses just just hearing firsthand from him that tale, you know, and all the details of, of his journey. I don't know. Like that that's what I would that's who I'd talk to. My, my neighbor has the most prolific so if this dinner happens, we'll do it at her house. We'll sit under the fig tree. I mean, we'll, it, it's shaded enough for like 18, 20 of us. Wow. All 12 of them, all of us, and we oh will pick gosh. their brains. It would be, be amazing. amazing. Yeah, yeah. that would be crazy. It would be great. Now, that'd be... That'd yeah. be uh, would, you, would you invite uh, Jesus there as well? Yeah, hopefully you'd have him there. because I'd they like might to... change, They might change their tone if he was at the <laughs> table, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah th- those would be interesting people to talk to, especially yeah. from a standpoint. There's a guy telling you that he's the savior, and yeah. you're going to follow it. Follow me, and, and you're like, that's a leap of faith. Yeah, it is, and I want to hear the guys talk about. And then, yeah, Taylor, and then he flipped these tables over, and then he let all the animals that like like some of the crazy. You'd yeah. get on the yeah. podcast version, right. and not on the uh, the sort of cartoon version, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. East Coast, West Coast. I have an idea what you're going to say. Are you an East Coast guy or West Coast guy? Yeah, I, I do appreciate the East Coast. You know, I, I really, really do. I Florida a lot just uh-huh. because that's kind of, I mean, I grew up in Australia and, and Southern California, so that climate is kind of what I appreciate, but, you know, West Coast uh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of figured that you were going to say that. I, I, I was about to, you know, put a couple of, a couple of dollars. I, would have I can't see myself going to Heat games or Knicks games. I can't see that. Lakers <laughs> games, you know, that, 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 that feels right. So were you like a Lakers fan big time, or were you more? I was a diehard. I was crazy. Me and my dad were absolutely crazy. It was like the only thing that I could do wow. Lakers were doing. And so now I've kind of I've kind of fallen off uh, the wagon a little bit. I had to take a step back because I get too wrapped up in that stuff. There's stuff out of my, my control. Mm. Based on when you were born, and I'm kind of doing some math here, you probably saw a little bit with Magic and those guys. Yeah, yeah. I was just fresh off of it. So when I got interested, they were reliving those highlights still and all that sort of stuff. I never, if I saw games, it didn't really resonate with me or, or I don't remember them. But, you know, I was obviously was drafted so right. maybe, maybe it was Kobe okay. was the reason why I was a Laker fan because I'm like oh man here we go yeah. you know, and every game was just so much fun Kobe and Shaq or just Kobe by himself you know Kobe and Shaq no, yeah. I was there for that whole, what, that whole thing what yeah, a duo did, together or did you like them separate you know because Kobe kind of riffed on uh, Shaq and said he wasn't yeah, that, no, that they, important look, they're, they're two alphas I mean what sure. are you going to do yeah. you know right. that's what they are it wasn't it wasn't a Jordan and Pippen thing. I mean, they were. It was right. Jordan and the Jordan thing. You know, they were right. both alphas. Mm-hmm. So of course, um, you know, can one win as much without the other? No, they they, they played off each other and fed off each other so well. So yeah. I, you know, obviously the Lakers wouldn't have been the Lakers if Shaq hadn't have been there or if Kobe hadn't have been there. So are you a fan now with LeBron there? Still uh, buying tickets and going to the games and talking with well, LeBron. Well, obviously, and... I'm in Texas now, so no, I'm not, I'm not going to those games. Um, yeah. you know, I don't know. I don't know. LeBron's maybe a little too much showtime for me. I felt like Kobe was, like, down and dirty. LeBron is just... LeBron's an, a beast, though. I yeah. mean, that guy is so good. It's it almost... No, it is unfair how good that guy is. Yeah, yeah he's, he's pretty, pretty darn talented. Mountains or beach? Where do you like to spend time, mountains or the beach? I would, I'd probably say the beach, but I wouldn't go in the water. I'm not a water guy, but I would just like the climate of the beach over mm-hmm. the mountains. Beach from the standpoint that uh, you, you didn't like the sharks? Did you watch Jaws or something like that? Yeah, no, no chance. I hate going in the 
what's going on in me just terrified and hearing all these you know shark stories from being you know australia, australia. Right. dad showed me a shark video of some surfer almost getting eaten you know oh. just just today so it's like okay you know i i don't need that i don't yeah. need that look that exciting the pool nice pool with that heated it's just exactly. as good <laughs> exactly. hey, hey where in oz did you guys live when you were young uh suburbs of sydney sydney okay big city new south wales yeah yeah, yeah that, that, i've been down there a couple of times that's a great city there. Yeah, I was just down there. Yeah. I went to the AO uh, just recently. It started, January, yeah. 2020 started off really great. Now it's all of a sudden it's gone down <laughs> the crapper. You know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I love Sydney. I've been on the bridge. I've been to the Opera House. Gone across to Manly. I mean, that was a great. City. It's, it's an awesome area. What part of Sydney? Just out of curiosity, did you live in? Uh, Newcastle. Newcastle. It's about two hours north. Yeah, yeah. very, mm -hmm. very pretty area. Sunrise, sunset. Are you a morning guy or an evening guy? I think I'm turning into an evening guy. I used to be a not anymore. I think evenings are, are better. Favorite season? Do you like uh, summertime like right now, fall, winter, spring? And and we got to qualify this by saying in Texas. In Texas, yes. That's yeah, right. yeah, we do Texas, get all four here at fall, one time. Yeah, I don't think I've two, three falls now in yeah. Texas. It's awesome. The, the best. weather yeah. is great. The colors on the trees are amazing. Yeah. I mean, summer's brutal in Texas. Winter is not fun. And the spring, it, it's nice. It's nice, but uh, the fall is unmatched. Favorite holiday? Dang. We go deep. I feel like, I feel like Father's Day might be my favorite okay. holiday. I don't know. You know At I this moment, like, yes. Wow. Gang, gang goes above and beyond. Every Father's Day I have, I just feel like. We get one day. That's we awesome. get one day. And like like Craig next to me, you have four kids. You guys yeah. deserve uh, a massive father's. I only have one. Uh, I don't feel like any less of a dad, but I'm absolutely impressed. With I'll give you a couple. Dad. I'd love it. I'd love it. I share. Love them. Love your kids. <laughs> love all four. What do you like to do in your spare time? What does Taylor do if he has a spare moment? What do you like to do? Um, selfishly? Yeah. yeah. No, no. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I guess... My, so obviously, gaming generation, right? Yep. So my sons love gaming. So if uh, if we have a, a minute to get online together and, and play a game, then that is so much fun for me. I have so much fun playing with them. And again, I, I played games when I was growing up, you know, when I was their age, but not to this extent. I think it's, it's part of their culture. And we try to monitor it you know, and, and moderate it. A, a fair bit, but when there's a, an opportunity to get in there and play some some games with them, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like uh, rainy day, Texas. Yeah, 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 that would be it, absolutely. But we yeah. got to make sure, you know, again, we got to keep Mama happy. We got to make sure the house is clean, the Good. laundry's done, the dishes are done. You know, there, there's a pecking order here. So the games is just like the icing on the cake at the end of the day. Priorities, love it, man. You play Grand Theft Auto? No, no, no. No, we can't do that. No. <laughs> we, uh, we like to play League of Legends. Oh, there okay. That's cool. I get in there and I, I click away the best I can. Yeah. Good, good. All right, we're, we're rounding the corner here. We're kind of coming to the home stretch. I'm going to back to some tennis questions, kind of ask you a couple things. Uh, indoor tennis or outdoor tennis? For me, indoor. Yeah. So hard, hard surface indoors, grass, clay, wood? Yeah, yeah, hard surface indoors. Let's do it. Oh, that reminds me. Made a decision on the color on those indoor courts. Yeah, we were talking about like uh, what Federer did with that Labor uh, Cup. Cup or whatever. Love it. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. did the black on black. I yeah. think we're not ready for any more drama. I see. Oh, okay. Go with a nice, safe blue on green. <laughs>
Good, good. Sorry. Go, go in U.S. Open colors, right? Yeah, exactly. I okay. think that's what we're going to do. All right. Uh, think back in the archive here. What's your most embarrassing moment in the great game? You have one or two? What? Well, easy, because the kids ask me that all playing doubles, and I never played doubles, right? I only uh-huh. played with my buddies. So I was playing this doubles with, I think it was Alex Bogomolov against Robbie Ginepri and Mark Merklin. It was actually in Houston on the, the clay court when it was at Mattress Max. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember yeah. that on Westheimer, yeah. yeah. Oh, I played doubles because my hands were pretty good up in net. Um, if my partner wasn't really that confident like Bogomolov, I would, we would just play I every time, and I would just kind of duck down, let him serve over me, and, and pop up and pick off a lot of volleys, and, and it worked well. We got to the finals of the finals of a doubles tournament doing that, me and, me and Bogomolov. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this time, Ginebri was returning, and Ginebri basically stood on the service line and hit returns. You know, he stands so close, so it's a little bit of a challenge. So then, you know, midway through the first set or whatever, Alex you know, serve, serve in there, and Ginepri just rips it right at me, and I just, I clenched up, and I ripped a fart really loud, <laughs> and we had about, you know, it's just a doubles match, but but we had about, like, two or three hundred people on the <laughs> side, and they're basically sitting on the court, they're basically on my lap, Yeah. I just ripped this fart, and the point is still going, you know, I got, the, I reflexed the volley back, and Ginepri's dying laughing, yeah. Mark Merklin's dying laughing, Bogomolov's dying laughing, the crowd's dying laughing as this point is going on. I'm just like, oh, that's great. <laughs> Beautiful. That's a good one. We've never heard that, that uh, the <laughs> fart noise on uh, at the net yet. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty funny. What's your favorite tournament? What's your favorite tournament that you've ever played? I think it's just a popular answer probably in Wells. I mean, I don't think there's – you can't point to anything that's wrong or they do poorly at that tournament. Mm. Everything is just awesome. The – the environment is great. You know, Palm Springs is so well manicured. It's just beautiful place to drive around. It's, it, it's pretty. They take good care of the facility. They yeah. take great care of the players. It's a big tournament, so you get all the best players there. The fans are great. It's always sold out. I mean, it's it's. I, I don't see how you can do better than that. Yeah, and and margin bad either, is it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. You like to watch tennis on TV? Are you a, do you? You sit down and find yourself watching every now and then? I mean, I don't have a whole lot of time, but I love watching tennis on TV. The the, the problem is, I find, this is what I tell my pros a lot, is tennis is not a complicated game. I, I find tennis to be an extremely simple game. And when we sit down together and watch tennis, they see it too. The problem with tennis is it's a very hard game. You you know, Especially in modern tennis, you don't need to be good at to be exceptional at a handful of things. And if you're not exceptional... There's no way to hide it. You know, you just, this is what it is. So um, I will be more interested in watching tennis on TV once we, there's a new boy in town yeah. who kind of does what Federer did, does what Djokovic did, who they kind of redefine the game a little bit. Because right now, those guys are playing the brand of tennis that I'm super familiar with. So if you tell me, you know, Federer's still winning, Nadal's still winning, Djokovic is still winning, then I. You know, mm-hmm. so the same thing still applies. But if somebody comes up and just runs over tennis like Federer did, then I would be super interested to see how that person is doing that. So does your mind think analytically as you watch? I, I don't. Yeah. I, I, I yeah, can't. I, do. I, I can't. I can watch and go, well, I mean, I see a shot maybe, and they go, hey, this should have gone down the line or should have gone cross court or whatever. But I don't sit there and watch patterns and... I, I kind of like. No, I'm, I, I can't. I can't watch it to be entertained. I'm mm-hmm. watching for information because, again, yeah. this is my business. Right. I don't want to be teaching. 
backed up on TV. Yeah. That I can't back up on YouTube. So I'm I'm watching to be educated. Who who would you have liked to play in your career? Did you play? Was there somebody that you didn't get to play that you would have liked to have played? I don't want to play any of those guys. They're all. <laughs> no, in in your career, or would you even going back? Would you like to have played Laver? Would you like to have played your dad? You know, but that'd been fun. I don't know. You know, I guess you know what would be interesting. I would have liked to play Connors. He has a strange game. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, yep. It's a, a strange game that that would have been unique to play against, yeah. as far as the other the other styles. I mean, they're. they're the other great players, they're all a little bit more orthodox. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I've played against Santorum, player, but playing against Connors would have been interesting. It, just or curious, Borg. Yeah, or Borg. Borg, actually. Actually, you know what? I, I take that back. I'd rather play against Borg because what I was told about how Borg hit the ball is kind of what I felt when I was playing against Nadal. Uh-huh. I'd like to just compare that firsthand. So, so, quick thought here. Just I'm going to uh, never asked this question before. But uh, when did you take the family title from your dad? Or did did it take uh, 15, age 16, age 12, you know, 23? No, he, he let me beat him. He let me beat him when I was 14, mm-hmm. and I knew he let me beat him. You and, knew it. Uh, that was pretty much the last time we played because he was he was very good about not putting undue pressure on me. Sure. And so that was one of the like okay, you beat me. Let's move on. I mean, at that stage, he was he was still beating like uh, you know the year before that he was still beating like Chang in practice. Uh-huh. Sure. Wow. Yeah, no, that's yeah. So that's why I was wondering if he ever he he, no. he kind of eh, you know kind of let let yeah, you. Yeah, that was just kind of that thing. Stupid. Yeah. We we we're battling each other enough as it is. You know, right. with me coaching you. Let's not right. add this to the mix. So he just kind of tanked a little bit, and then that was the last time we played. Yeah. Who's your favorite tennis player besides any of the Dent, Dent family? Who, who's your favorite player even past? I mean, favorite player to watch for entertainment yeah. purposes is better. Okay. You know, he's just, yeah. he, he does it right. You know, everything looks good. You'll see a variety of shots and all that sort of stuff. Um, my favorite player to watch for just pure efficiency is Joe. I mean, when Djokovic is playing solid tennis, what do you do? Yeah. I'd like to know what you do. You know he's got a, he's got a very good serve. He's got uh, one of the best forehands out there, one of the best backhands out there. He's the best returner, one of the best movers. What do you do? You know everything amazing, but the things that you need to do as a tennis player, he does do amazing. You think he'll go go uh, go past Federer? You think he'll win more in terms of slams? In slams, it's just, yeah. It's it's tough, you know, because obviously you, uh, if, if he's able. To... Yeah, is he going to be the greatest or? Do you consider Rod Laver the greatest? Who, 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 in your opinion, it, it's hard to say who the greatest yeah. is. In my opinion, it's Rod yeah, Laver. It's, yeah, I don't know. I have this argument with my dad all the time, and it's just I and we argue. I try to rally him up a little bit. Yeah, you know, good. More good. than anything else, I don't think you can say there's the greatest of all time because yeah. for every person you name, there's going to be a knock on that person that they could have done this or that better and all this sort of stuff. So I think it's tough. But if you if you if Djokovic does end up getting the most Grand Slams. I think he's the greatest of all time. I mean, he's played in a generation where you've got Roger. He's winning slams from Roger Federer, who's who's apparently the greatest of all time. He's winning slams from Rafael Nadal, who you know has a better head-to-head record over the greatest player of all time. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So his competition, in my opinion, is incredible. Maybe maybe some of the toughest competition that tennis has ever seen, and yet he's coming out on top over the past. You know, three, four years winning more. 
What that? What is that? That's a joke. Yeah. yeah. No, that I I agree. I can see see that as well. I mean, that's that's a great point. Uh, just Rod Laver for me. He didn't get a chance to participate for about six seven years in, in tournament yeah. play. So I yeah. I just think that anyone uh, you know, Grand Slams on uh, one. One, one calendar uh, year, calendar year Grand Slams. I just look yeah. at that and I'm going, wow, that that is just yeah. really impressive. You know, he got you know called out, said, okay, you can't can't uh, go. You win the Grand Slam, then you come back. Okay, now you can play. Wow, that's yeah. that's yeah. impressive. All right, any superstitions or rituals? Did you did you have any superstitions? Were you superstitious yeah. out there, not stepping on the lines or something like that, yeah. or you know? My dad was super, very very superstitious, and he would do the not stepping on lines thing and all mm-hmm. that. Raising me, he said, "Don't be a fool. Don't get wrapped up into any of that stuff because it really tormented him sometimes." So I was actually superstitious about not being superstitious. <laughs> that makes sense, you know. What I mean, so if I found myself getting into a, a routine of sitting on one, I would purposely go on the other side of the court so I would not, um, you know, fall into that that superstition trap. All right, trap. people at home, you heard that here first. Taylor Dent is intentionally not even a little stitious. <laughs> what sport would you have played if it wasn't tennis? Do you think? I love basketball, but I, you know, I love it. But I, I'm not built for basketball. I'm mostly built for football. I mean, if, if it was a sport, it was going to be football. Rules football oh, too, yeah. or rugby, or any of those. You, you would look right at home with any of those teams. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, and I, I enjoy that the physicalness of that. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's I, I really, really do enjoy that. If you ask me of a dream, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, I don't know. I probably I, dream sport would probably be basketball. I love yeah. it. I can see you excelling at judo too, because your hands are very quick and yeah. you've got the build well, of I've those done, guys. I've done, judo. I've done a little bit of judo. I've done a lot of judo. Actually, my oldest son competed a little bit in oh, jiu-jitsu. Cool. Like I, I enjoy that. Physical.